Well, good evening. Welcome to Reformation Bible Church. Thank you for joining us on our midweek time of worship together. Tonight we're going to be beginning a new series called What is a Healthy Church Member? It is based off a, a book by Tabidi Anyanbiwe uh, called What is a Healthy Church Member? So if you have not picked that book up, I encourage you to get it. I'll also be leaving it up here for any of you who would like to write down the title or uh, at least see who the author is. Let's pray for our time together. Our Lord and God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the, the great privilege that you've given us, Lord, to come and to worship in your word this evening. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, Lord, hearts that are softened to believe. Lord, help us to not only hear, but to obey. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. Pray that you and you alone are glorified in our time together. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be asking, why are we going through this particular series? What is a healthy church member? And there are a number of reasons why will we be going through, why we will be going through this series. And maybe one of the most important reasons is that we must understand that the, the local church is far more important to our Christian lives than we realize. The local church is far more important to our Christian lives, our Christian maturity, than we realize. And secondly, because local churches grow in life, in vitality, as they or we organize ourselves around God's word. Meaning this, God speaks his word, his people hear his word, and then they obey. Life comes from that, vitality comes from that, maturity comes from that. Hearing God's word and obeying God's word. The universal, I'm going to say this more often, don't be confused when I say Catholic. I'm saying universal, I'm not saying Roman Catholic. The Catholic body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, will begin to reflect Christ... When we not only listen to what he said, but when we obey what he has said. And this, my brothers and sisters, will bring much glory to God. Hearing God's word and obeying God's word. So tonight we are going to begin this series by considering our growth as members of the local church. Or, if you're looking for a title, a healthy church member is a growing disciple of Christ. A healthy church member is a growing disciple of Christ. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We'll be reading verses 11 through 14. And we'll finish with 14 at the end of our time together. About this, we have much to say. This is God's word. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Those who are of God have ears to hear. You may be seated this morning. Here we see the writer to the Hebrews is rebuking the readers. Why? Why is he rebuking the readers? Because of their lack of maturity. Why is the writer to the Hebrews rebuking his hearers? Because they lack maturity. The writer to the Hebrews, whom most believe was the Apostle Paul, was attempting to explain how the priestly ministry of Christ, now listen close, was in the order of Melchizedek. That's what he wanted to explain. But he found that explanation difficult or hard to explain to the Hebrews. Now, Why was this spiritual truth hard to explain? 
this wonderful spiritual truth was not difficult to explain because the writer to the Hebrews was unable to explain the wonderful truth, but rather because the readers, the hearers, were unable to understand that wonderful truth. Why? Because they had become dull of hearing. It wasn't that he wasn't able to explain it. It was that they were not able to understand it. And why weren't they able to understand it? Because they had become dull of hearing. Now listen to what dull of hearing is. It is, is, it is essentially, they had become sluggish in their growth as Christians. They had become sluggish or lazy, if you will, in their spiritual growth. Their ears had become dull of hearing. Truths of God's word became, listen, uninteresting. Truths of God's word became uninteresting because they sought that which required no mental effort. They wanted that which didn't make them think. They wanted that which was not hard for them to understand. They did not want to work to grow. The energy to think and to ask questions about important questions was seeping away. There was no longer any more energy to think. There was no longer any more energy to ask questions. And I say to you, it is a dangerous thing when you stop asking questions. Why is it a dangerous thing when you stop asking questions? Because it means you've stopped thinking. Or you have stopped caring. There are brothers and sisters who I know who used to ask me a lot of questions, who no longer ask me any questions. The only indication that I have is they've stopped thinking or become sluggish, dull of hearing. In the place of passion came insensitivity. The cares of this world became more exciting and more attractive than the word of God. Is that the case for you? Because the readers had allowed themselves to become lazy in their efforts to grow in Christ. They had failed to mature. Therefore, Paul could not take them, or the writer to the Hebrews, could not take them any further because they themselves refused to go any further. The writer to the Hebrews, he rebukes the readers, saying to them in verse number 12, For though by this time you ought to again, or you ought to be teachers, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. Teach you what? The basic principles of the oracles of God. Though you should be teachers, you need someone to teach you. And what do they need to teach you? Over and over again, as it were. The basic oracles, the basic principles, the ABCs, if you will, of Christianity. The writers of the Hebrews rebukes the hearers. Not that they were going to be pastors. He says you should be teachers. But he's not saying you should be pastoring churches by now. And that, that is usually most of the confusion when we talk about teaching. That when we think of teaching, we think of, well, I'm not going to stand behind a pulpit and teach. That's not what Paul is talking about. We assume that those who teach are reserved for behind the pulpit. But Paul encourages the, the church of Colossae in, in Colossae 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach. And admonish one another. This teaching that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking of is a teaching that is accomplished within the context of the local church. It is members teaching members. It is discipleship happening amongst each other. The writer to the Hebrews says to them, you should by now know all of the basics so well that you are able to teach others who are coming to the church, but you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of Christ. And why? Because you're lazy. Because you have become sluggish. Because you've stopped trying. You have not matured because you have grown dull of hearing. What a sharp rebuke. But what a necessary rebuke. And we often need that kind of rebuke. Brother, are you reading anything right now? Are you listening to anything right now? What are you studying right now? And for you to say nothing, well, then you fall into the same context, or at least you are in danger of falling into the same category as these hearers of the Hebrews. Well, I'm not reading anything. I'm not listening to anyone. I listen to you on Sundays, then I go home and I go about my life. Or maybe I don't go to church on Sundays. Maybe I just decide to go take a vacation day. Maybe I decide to go hang out with the family and not even go to church. 
Do you understand the danger of avoiding worship on the Lord's day? There's great danger in that. He said to them, and he's not done, verse 12, you need milk. How sharp is that? You need milk. You, you don't even need, he says. Let me just read what it says. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on, on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He is calling them infants. He is calling them babes. Milk is reserved for infants. Although milk is nourishing, you would not rely on milk, solely on milk, for your sole nourishment for the rest of your life, would you? No. Why? Because you would be lacking so much in your growth. So it is with your walk with Christ. If you rely on the elementary truths of Christ, as the writer says to the Hebrews, or the writer of the Hebrews says, the basic oracles of God, you will not mature. If you only rely on those, you will not mature. What are those elementary doctrines? What are those elementary truths? He tells us in in chapter 6, verse 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And here it is. Laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are the ABCs of the Christian faith. These are all the doctrines that can be found in the book of Acts. And the writer is not minimizing these doctrines, but he is pointing out that you should know these doctrines by now. We should not have to keep reminding you to repent that that is the way you were saved. We should not keep reminding you that you are not saved by works, but you are saved in Christ alone. We should not have to keep going back to a laying on of hands so that you know the distinguishing marks of what is a true apostle and who is not. You should know these things by now. You should be growing from those elementary truths and not constantly relying on someone to teach you over and over again, not that you shouldn't be taught, but teaching you over and over again the same things that you should know already. What about you? How do you take that rebuke to the Hebrews when you think about your own life and your own walk with Christ? We all experience seasons in which we are not consistent or persistent in our desire for spiritual growth. But if you find yourselves identifying too much or so much with the Hebrews that you feel like the writer to the Hebrews is actually writing to you, then brothers and sisters, repent. Ask the Lord to help you. And don't just say, I'm going to let go and let God. But actually pick up something to read. Start with the Bible. Actually start to get onto a website and hear a sermon. Maybe start with ours. That might be good for those of you who don't come on Sundays or Wednesdays. Someone may say, well, I feel like I've just fallen into a rut. I feel like I'm stuck. Like I just can't shake it. Others may assert, it's just too hard. Or here's the the, the one that, that blows my mind often. I'm not smart. As if growing in Christ had anything to do with intelligence. Who did Jesus pick as those who would be the ones to turn the world upside down? Men of no reputation. The book of Acts says, men of no particular training. Don't ever use, I don't know that word. Go look it up then. Don't ever use, I'm not smart. That's a cop out. You will get as much as you, as much as you put into this. You will learn as much as you put into this. There are <clears throat> some others who feel like, I will never learn. I will never be able to reach that plateau that, that you think someone else is standing on that you're trying to achieve. Let me say, and I say this with, with compassion. We all can agree that we've all been there. We all can agree that we all can sympathize with those sentiments. I can say for myself, prior to the Lord bringing me to the Reformed faith, I was, I felt like I was walking in a desert. I believe that I had seen everything that there was to see prior to coming to the Reformed faith. That I was roaming around this desert trying to be creative with all these different dry sands that I would find. But I thought I'd seen it and known it all. Until 
by God's grace, I happened upon the foot of vast mountains and peaks whose, whose peaks were found are unseen, hidden within the clouds. And I began to climb. And with each step, the Lord graciously revealed to me sights and wonders that I have never known or never seen. And I can admit to you that I've only gone but a few feet. That there is so much more to climb. There is so much more to be seen. And I admit there have been moments where I, when I've needed to pause. Where There's been moments where I've needed to allow, well, let me just say not allow, that although what I saw was marvelous, I let the flesh, my flesh, get the best of me. And I paused because of my own laziness. But by the grace of God, he brought me back up. I sometimes wanted to rest and, and set up camp right there and move no further. But by the grace of God, he was encouraging me to keep moving. There's so much more to see. If you think that's wonderful, keep going. If you think that is marvelous, keep on striving. And we must keep striving until we reach that ultimate destination. And let me tell you this. None of that, none of this process is because I'm smart. Pastor, I didn't go to college like you. So what? I haven't, been, I haven't gone to seminary. Well, neither have I, really. Then How? Work, effort, passion, consistency, persistency, not allowing the flesh to tell me, take a nap today. No. But beating, as Paul said, beating my flesh, it's because by the grace of God and through his strength, I have entrusted every one of my efforts into the hands of God. And he has blessed those efforts because he is the one who strengthened me to work. I've heard things that have made me, have made absolutely no sense to me. And then I've gone home and I've done my homework. And I've diligently studied to understand what that preacher was saying, what those words meant. Well, I don't understand and I never will. That's not the right attitude to have. Trust that as you put in effort, God will help make sense of things that are difficult. But you have to put in effort. Don't think it's just going to come. Brothers and sisters, progressively growing in, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming conformed to the image of Christ, it should be normal in our walks with Christ. It should be normal in our walks with Christ. Which we should be, as a normal process of our Christian walk, we should be growing in understanding. We should be growing in knowledge. We should be continually being sanctified, set apart from the world unto God. This should be normal in our lives. Amen? Paul said in Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already attained this, or I am already made perfect. But you know the rest. But I press on. To make it my own. Because Jesus Christ made me his own. Brothers and sisters, he says, or brothers, I do not consider myself to, I do not consider that I made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straightening forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then Paul makes this exhortation that if you have that attitude, he says in verse 15, those who mature... Those who are mature, they think like this. The mature think like this. The mature says, I have not obtained it already. I press on. The mature say, I press on toward the goal. Let those who are mature think like this. They're not only words that encourage us. They're words that challenge us. To resist the temptation to become sluggish. To resist the temptation of assuming that we have learned all that we need to know. All I need to know is that Jesus Christ died for me and that's it. What a, a, an immature mentality to have. All I know is Jesus died for my sins. I meet people from churches who say that all the time. I don't know a lot. All I know is Jesus died for my sins. Is that all you want to know? Do you want to know how much more wonderful that knowledge of knowing that he died for your sins is? Because it gets even grander than that. 
Only the mature, by the grace of God, will possess this mentality. This is the approach, the approach that we must take to our spiritual walks. It is normal for Christians to grow. And you must work for growth. And in working for growth, expect increasing maturity. Healthy church members live this way. Now, what is growth? What is maturity? Thibidi Anyambiwe says, We live in a superficial culture that lays emphasis on outward signs and neglects inward reality. We're far too vulnerable to settling, listen, for being thought of as being mature rather than actually being mature. We love for people to think that we're mature rather than actually being mature. And there's only one passage that I can think of that best describes that. Luke chapter 18. The Lord identifies some attitudes that flow from this wanting everyone to think that we're mature when we're actually not mature. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Let me read that to you as we begin or as we go forward. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. Listen here. He also, Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you hear where that flows from? He told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What is not Christian spiritual growth? And I apologize for the crackling here. Let's do this. What is not Christian growth? Number one, what is not Christian growth is having a perfect attendance mentality. What is not Christian growth is having a perfect attendance mentality. Our idea of Christian growth can often be influenced by a mentality that bases our growth on the amount of checks that we have by our names. Notice how the Pharisee listed all the checks by the things that he had accomplished. I'm not like extortioners who are unjust or adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Brothers and sisters, it is dangerous to fall into this trap. And we can easily fall into this trap. We can ask, be asked about our growth and our automatic response is, well, I pray every day. I read the Bible. I give every week. I make sure that I'm reading a psalm every day. And we can, we can use those check marks as as our own indication, our false indications that we are actually growing in Christ. And we sometimes make the mistake of, of the Pharisee by measuring our own spiritual growth by observable means. Things that people can see. See what I did? Do you see what I did? Aren't I a spiritual man or woman? We can point out to how many times we've prayed throughout the week. How many tracts have we passed out? How often we've shared the gospel and think that our spiritual maturity is sky high. We can even think about other people who are going to other churches that are not in biblical churches. Well, at least they're going to church. That they left good churches to go to bad churches and say, well, at least they're still in church. As if that means that they're growing. It seems like if they leave a good church for a bad church, they're declining. But we must be careful. We must be careful not to think that We are taking a perfect attendance mentality to our Christian lives or to our Christian maturity. I thought about as I was studying, why why perfect attendance? Why use that point? And I thought of a man. I thought of a man that I used to know who had perfect attendance. He was here every Sunday, every Wednesday. He was here before everyone could get here. 
and the basis for him to judge everyone and everything was this. I'm always here. And I'm here before everyone. But he was the biggest gossip, the biggest backbiter, the least submissive, least trustworthy member we had within our midst. But he was here every Sunday, every Wednesday, here before everyone without fail. And he measured his own maturity or his closeness to God based on the, upon the fact that he's always here and here before everyone. He had an outward presence and activity that may have fooled everyone into even thinking that he was a godly man. But spend some time with him and you'll realize he's just the opposite. We can never measure our maturity by some stat sheet because that does not measure our spiritual growth. We can never think that our attendance or all of these check marks are somehow saving us. Christ is the only one who saved us. And those things are great. We should be doing those things. But don't think that those things save you or make you better than everybody else. Secondly, which leads us to our next point, judging by wrong standards. And what do I mean by judging by wrong standards? The Pharisee was proud before God. Why? He was proud that he was not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like these other men. But both men were praying before God. Both men had come to God in prayer. And yet, as they are both standing before God, one man is judging the other and thanking God, I'm not like him. One man was externally righteous. The other, apparently externally unrighteous. One man received mercy, and the other man did not. And it was not the man who was externally righteous, but the man who beat his breast and asked God for mercy. We must never attempt to justify ourselves by saying, well, at least I know I'm I'm a better Christian than him or her. We can never attempt to justify ourselves by saying, I know I'm a better Christian than him. I know I'm a better Christian than her. If we do, we place ourselves in a dangerous position of thinking higher of ourselves than we ought. Being, as I've said before, too sure of ourselves. We must never measure or judge our maturity by comparing ourselves to other people. What a dangerous thing that is to do. It is easy. Isn't it to justify yourselves when we compare ourselves to other people? Well, I know I'm much better off than they are. That when we stand before God, at least I'll be receiving mercy because I cannot be any worse than them. It was almost like when we used to take tests back in school. And there was at least one person that you knew you did much better than on that test. So you made yourself feel better about yourself. Even though you know you did terrible, you know you didn't do as bad as that person. Only to find out that they did better better than you. What? What will that do for our growth? If we measure ourselves among ourselves, think about that. What does that do for our own growth? It does nothing. It only produces pride. Here's what it also does. It makes us content with where we are. And it makes us also blind because we're too busy of looking at and thinking about everyone else that we never take our time to look to God because we're looking at everybody else. James says that God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Three, what is not Christian growth? Depending on personal strength or effort in spiritual growth. This was one of the other mistakes of the Pharisee. This man believed that he had everything, accomplished everything, on his own strength and on his own ability. Brothers and sisters, we are not the source of our strength. We are not the source of our growth. We are not the source of our spiritual maturity. We take responsibility. We make efforts. We work. But in all of that, it is only God who allows us and enables us to work. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that, Paul? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How do we work? Because God is working in us. How do we have any effort? Because God is powerfully working on the inside of us. Amen. This is not, there is not one ounce of knowledge, not one ounce of growth that we have attained on our own strength. It is all for and to God. 
it is purely because God works in our lives. But that does not mean that you're not growing is God's fault. That does not mean you not understanding something is God's fault. For many of us, like the Hebrews, our growth or lack of growth is because of our own laziness. Our lack of effort. Our uh, allowing trouble, persecution, cares and riches of this world to distract us from our growth. We must take responsibility for those things. We can't look at the, the troubles of this world and say it's because of the troubles that I'm not growing. God gives you strength and weakness. We can't say it's because I don't understand that I'm not growing. The Holy Spirit helps to give illumination. We can never blame any of these things on outside things or even on God that we are not growing. No, take responsibility. And God has promised that when you make the effort, God himself, who has enabled the effort, will produce fruit from it. His word will not return void. Amen. Amen. I can mention the, the conference that we were at last year, the Reformed Baptist Conference with James Dozal. He was speaking about the immutability of God, impassibility of God. Myself, my brother Isaiah, and Arnold sat there like raccoons in truck headlights. What in the world is this man talking about? We were even joking amongst one another during the conference. Do you understand anything that's being said? And all of us agreed, I have no idea what this man is saying. So what do we do? Say James knows all is crazy or go home and get to work. Go home and get to work. Go home and get to work to where now I can explain immutability to you. I can explain impassibility to you and I can do it scripturally. Why? Because God just touched me and now I know. No, I went home when I got to work. And not so that I can teach it to you because I want to understand who my God is. And eventually down the road, God will use all of that. To be delivered to you. But for me first, I want to know who my God is. Why he is unchangeable. Why his passions don't go up and down. But he is forever the same. Make the effort. God gives you strength. God will give you strength. Learn from that. Put in the effort. God will give you insight. Scripture tells us that our progress in spiritual maturity depends on the grace and will of God. Not our on our own strength. All of our efforts are exercised in dependence on God. The Bidiyanyam Bile says again, So biblical growth should not be confused with outward performance alone, nor is it measured by using others as our standard, nor does it depend, finally, on our self-effort. So then, we must be asking, if that's not spiritual growth, then how does one, a healthy church member, how do we grow, how do we mature? Healthy church members, you, I, we should want to grow. Do you want to grow? Do you want to mature? Do you, here's another question for you. Do you want to see others mature? Do you want to see the people sitting across from you? Do you want to see them grow? Do you want to see them mature? Why? Why? Is it so that we can have a packed house here? And so that you can tell other people that you know? We now have 150 people at our church. Is that what you want? Is that the reason why you want to grow and why you want others to grow? It should be for God's glory. And so that the gospel may reach every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that you are an agent in that process. You are a tool that God uses in that process as you grow. Because as you learn... As you mature, what do you do? You help others to learn and mature. Uh, John Bryant from Grace, Sovereign Grace Bible Church took me out to have lunch the other day. Fred's Barbecue. It was amazing. Tri-tip sandwich. It is as close to Luigi's tri-tip sandwich as I've tasted in Bakersfield. Look at your smiles all of a sudden. You smile when we talk about food. You gluttonous people. Anyways... What did I do the next day? I talked about how amazing that food was. And I took my brother to eat there. And I also brought some food to my wife who now wants to go herself. This is what happens when you are sharing the gospel. 
It's the same with the gospel. You hear something good. You are growing. You're being exposed to new things. And what do you do? You get so excited about it that you go and tell someone else. And what do they do? They go and tell someone else. And that's how we make the gospel grow or spread. That's how we reach nations, by sharing the gospel. We'll do that with tri-tip sandwiches. But will we do that with Christ, who is much more delightful? Mark Dever, working to promote Christian discipleship and growth, <clears throat> is working to bring glory, not to ourselves, but to God. This is how God will make himself known in the world. There are many passages in Scripture that outline for us the kind of growth that are necessary for church members to become healthy. Galatians 5.22 lists the fruit of the Spirit. 2 Peter 3.18 encourages us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.11 encourages us that the Lord has given us gifts for the church, pastors, elders, etc. Why? For the building up of the body. And why? So that we can mature. So that we can grow. And so that God would be glorified. This is the kind of growth that we must desire. Uh, We must not desire, listen close, new conferences, new speakers, new songs, new, new, new. Relying on newness to keep us interested. You ever find that as a danger for you? Give me something new. Don't allow yourself to get caught in that. Because you will find yourself going from conference to conference seeking some kind of feeling, some kind of euphoric feeling that will never, ever come or remain. It may come for a moment, but it will not stay. Before you know it, you'll be looking for another fix, as it were. <clears throat> These things may be new to us in the sense that they, we've not learned them before, but ultimately... Desire godliness, desire holiness, desire growing in the fullness of Christ. That is what we should be seeking. Now, in closing, how is this accomplished? Number one, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. John fifteen five. I'm going to read it very quickly, whether you're there or not. John fifteen five. <clears throat> I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me three times, and my words abide in you four times, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted for you by my Father. In this, my Father is glorified in that you produce much fruit. Abiding in Christ produces fruit. Not abiding in Christ, you are torn away and thrown into the fire. How much more simple can it be? If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to grow in godliness and remain in the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ is remaining in his word. Remaining in his word. It is remaining in his word. Because it is as you remain in his word that you grow, that you mature. How did Jesus say that others would know that you love him? Or how did he say that he would know that you love him? Obey his word. Obey his word. How will you know what he's obeyed if you have not read what he's commanded? If I were to ask you, how many of you want to obey Christ? You would say, of course I do. And I would ask you, how many of you are reading his scriptures to find out what he has commanded? The hands would go from maybe all to half. You can't truly say you love and want to obey Christ if you are not finding out what he's commanded. I pray you're convicted by the Spirit of God right now. Studying his word. His word must be your food. It must be your drink. It must be your air, your sustenance. What are you reading throughout the week? What are you listening to throughout the week? What are you learning right now on your own? What are you seeking right now to understand? If you answer that question, nothing. Then are you abiding in Christ? Well, I'm here. Yes, you're here. Praise God for your presence. But are you going to be satisfied 
with the elementary oracles of God? Or will you go deeper? Men, I've missed you at the race. Where in the world have you been? Have you become dull of hearing? Do you know it all in Romans already? What are you waiting for? Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm busy, brother, sister, abide in Christ, remain in this word. Secondly, the means of grace. How do I grow the means of grace? How will you grow in the church that I came from? There were people who were always looking for what became known as, listen close, a breakthrough. The church that I came from, they were always looking for a breakthrough. A breakthrough was some kind of experience that they were hoping to be given by God each week. You remember that kind of stuff? It had more to do with getting God to get them out of some kind of trouble more than anything else. But usually, after they believed they got their breakthrough, and breakthrough was such a, a silly charade in order to get to that point. The other pastor used to actually say, uh, with the band behind him, getting ready to play with the music, together they would say, dun, with the music, dun, dun, dun. For those of you who are listening, I'm making a box. And he would say, breakthrough. And everyone would go screaming and yelling. And some people would come to the front, and he would shake his hand, getting ready to lay hands on someone. To do what? To give them a breakthrough. Brothers and sisters, those breakthroughs were short-lived. There was, for a short amount of time, some sort of hunger, but it never lasted. Why? Because Christian growth and maturity does not come through some kind of breakthrough experience. Rather, it comes through the ordinary means that God provides for us in the local church. The regular preaching of God's word is a means of grace that God has provided for you to grow. As you are hearing this right now, God is providing you a means of grace. He is giving you grace by letting you hear this so that you can hear what God has said about your life and how you are to grow. Not by me laying hands on you and claiming that that is your breakthrough, but by me faithfully and the other elders faithfully preaching God's word. You having ears to hear and then not only hearing, but going and obeying what you've heard. That is a means of grace that God has provided for you so that you can grow. So that you can mature. Week after week, your elders faithfully exposit the scriptures. And you should come. You should not miss unless you're going to die. You should not miss. This should be not a job for you. As John Bryant said to me, this should be a delight for your soul. Your soul should delight in the word of God as it is preached. You should not say, i got to make sure I make it on time because I'm going to get in trouble. I want to be on time. I desire, I cannot wait for Sunday to hear God's word. I cannot wait for Wednesday to hear God's word. It is my food. It is my drink. To come dragging in here as if you don't want to be here. You're making it a job for yourself. Oh, sometimes to get out of bed is work. But the reason why you get out of bed should at least give you a pep in your step. God's word will be declared and I will grow. You should want that. Some of you take a five-hour energy when you work, but you won't take a five-hour energy before you come into church. You'll fall asleep in church, but you won't fall asleep on a job. How much do you want this? Do you want to grow? These men have prepared meals for your souls. And we sleep. We don't show up. We go to the beach because I want to be with my family. Isn't that a good thing? You couldn't go Saturday. You couldn't go at 12 o'clock after church. The beach will still be there. The sun will still be hot and the water will still be cold. And the traffic will still be there as well. How do you honor the Lord on the Lord's day? How do you honor the Lord on the Lord's day? We must abide in Christ by taking full advantage of the means of grace that he's provided in the proclamation of the word for our souls in the the Lord's Supper that we that he has provided as a means of grace for each for us week after week to remind you of what Christ has accomplished, what he's applied to your life, the the promise to remind you of the promise of his return. Look forward to that. It's a reminder every single week of what Christ has done, what he's doing and what he will do. 
to the means of grace and baptism that reminds us that, that your death, burial, and resurrection has been identified now with Christ. He died. He was buried. He was raised. You died. You were buried. You were raised with him. Every week. We don't do it every week, but every time you see it. And in the general assembly of the, of the saints, as a means of grace, coming together, being together with a family that is united in Christ, they are here. We are here for your mutual encouragement and edification. That's why we're here. You should be asking each other as you see each other, how can I pray for you? How's everything going in your life? And not to gain gossip, but to gain but to gain things that you can think of in prayer and bring them to God on behalf of the person that you love like a brother and like a sister that you've been united to Christ in. We too often gossip and less often pray for one another. A healthy church member does not neglect these ordinances that are provided for us in the local church. But they prepare for them. They look forward to them. They sense God's glory in all of these things. And they want it. Do you? I pray that you do. Third, and then one more. We participate in the local church. Hebrews 10.25 commands us not to neglect the, the assembly of the saints. Again, especially on the Lord's day. It is a day that he set apart to glorify him as a means of grace. And do so as you gather together with the saints. Now, Go on about your day after you come and worship with the Lord. I'm an LBC guy. Go on about your day. Worship the Lord. But come for the assembling of the saints. And then go do good to a family. Spend time with your family. Do as I did for the first time with my family and had uh, family worship with my son and my wife. Going through the Baptist catechism with my little boy. What an amazing five minutes that was. And it was even more amazing to find my son answer the question right, right off the bat. Who was the first chief being? My little boy, God. I wanted to run him all around the house and say, you will be a prophet. <laughs> Not that we believe in that kind of stuff, I'm just saying. Uh, we are here to gather and encourage one another. More and more, listen, as we see the day of the Lord approaching. We should be gathering more and more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Are you, are you concerned with the signs of the times that you see? Yeah, signs of the times. Are you concerned with the things that you see going on in our society right now? What should we do about it? We should pray. Who should we pray with? The church. We had corporate prayer last night. I say to all those who are elders, deacons, those who are leading in any kind of way, and those who are members of this church, you should not miss corporate prayer. You should be here to pray with the saints and beg God that he would be sovereign in all that we see so that we can be reminded that he is sovereign in all that we see. Pray, and we should be doing that together. And what a blessing it is to know that we can gather together right now, freely, gather together and pray with other saints for each other, for the health of the church, for the maturity of the church, for the nations, for the gospel to go out to the nations, for evangelists and missionaries to go, for God to send out and raise up evangelists and missionaries from among us to get the gospel to the nations, for God to give us boldness as we live day after day in the marketplace be willing to share our faith with people that may or may not be believers to share our faith. We meet for edification, for building up, for growing in Christ. And if we neglect these things, then brothers and sisters, you will, we will stunt our growth. You ever not come for a while and think, man, where are, where are we at? What are we learning right now? What's been going on? You've missed a few exercise days, haven't you? You need to get back into shape. And for some people, thinking, getting into shape... Uh, that's a hard process. You've got to start somewhere, though. If you don't start, you'll never start. And if you don't start and you never start, you're going to be very, very unhealthy spiritually. 
Ephesians 4.11 offers strong argument for the participation in the body of Christ and how participation in the, is the main way in which Christ strengthens and matures us as believers. Finally, an ending. How do we grow? We look forward to the coming of Christ. How do we grow? We look forward to the coming of Christ. We grow in holiness. We grow in godliness. We grow in knowledge. We grow in understanding. We mature. When? How? As we look forward and meditate on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the scriptures, we are encouraged to grow. And it is always connected with, as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Be watchful. Matthew 25, Jesus teaches his disciples about his coming and exhorts them to live a life that is fitting, live a life that is holy. He says, I'm coming. Be ready. I'm coming. Be ready. Do you think about that, though? Or do you just go about your day without ever thinking throughout the day? He could come at any moment. What will you be doing? What will you be doing? What will you have been learning throughout that time? Titus 2.13 refers to the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, the Savior of Jesus Christ, with this explanation of Jesus' mission as we close. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. 1 John 3.2 Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him does what? Purifies himself as he is pure. Our yearning to be with Christ, to see Christ, is intended to make us holy as Christ is holy. Looking forward to Christ and his return will produce healthy church members. Abiding in Christ not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, looking forward to the coming of Christ and so much more. We will mature and we will grow. And isn't that what you want for your life? Then, brothers and sisters, let us get busy. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, for giving us this means of grace through the preached word, and we pray that you were glorified in it, that you would help us not only to be hearers, but to be doers of your word. For the glory of God, we pray for the sake of Christ. Amen.